immediately Michael Jordan comes to mind. If you're a student of history and I said you have nothing to fear but fear itself, you would think of Winston Churchill when London was being bombed incessantly by Germany. If you were a preacher, there were three brothers, the Jeffrey brothers, who were missionaries. One of these men, uh, at the beginning of World War II, he had been in Asia. He's an elderly man. He's probably about 60, 65 years old. Uh, he's planted works, um, and the Japanese are overrunning Asia. And he comes down through the Marinitian Islands. Uh, he's going to do a work for God uh, and he sent back a journal, and the journal ended with these words, uh, no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. And he was never heard from again. Most feel he was probably lost his life as the Japanese began to conquer. You could read about Ruth tonight and think where she said, um, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. We could think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tonight when they said, Be it known unto thee, O king, if our God so desires, he is well able to deliver us. But if he does not, we want you to know we will not bow down to your image of gold. And so... Normally, these defining words are spoken during a critical time in a man or woman's life, or they capture a turning point of a man's life. I can say one word to you this evening, and one man's name will come before you, Watergate. Because this captured, no matter what former President Nixon accomplished, no matter foreign policy, we could talk about a number of things, but that one word captured because it turned his life um, and he was removed very embarrassingly from the White House. In our text is one of those statements. It captures the entire span of a man's life and it's filled with insight for you and I tonight Statement is little in your own eyes, and that's what I want to preach on this evening. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel, and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Little in your own eyes. In our text tonight, God's man is in deep trouble. And I want to say he was God's man. If you'd bear with me this evening, uh, this is, I, I preach a number of conferences, and so this kind of has a flavor of conference, but that's good for you. Hallelujah. In our text, God's man is in deep trouble, and as I said, he was God's choice. God chose him. First Samuel 9, 17, so when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is. The man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall reign over my people. Chapter 10, verse 1, Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head. Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And so God evidently saw something in the heart of Saul 
that moved him or qualified him that God would select this man out of all the men of Israel to be God's anointed. It wasn't by good fortune or chance. The Bible in chapter 10, verse 6 says, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy and be turned into another man. Now think of these incredible words. God says, I'm not only going to anoint this man, I'm going to pour myself into him. I'm going to equip him for the task in which I've called him. In verse 7, God is with you. In verse 9, God gave him another heart. Verse 10, the Spirit of God came upon him. This is so like God this evening. Every saved individual here, God calls you to a task in his kingdom. He has a place of service and a place of labor with your name on it. A field of service. Then when we respond, when we say yes, when we say here am I, when we, like Samuel, say, Lord, your servant hears, God waits for this yes. And then it's amazing what he begins to do in us. This story is really quite incredible. From chasing lost donkeys to commander of the Lord's inheritance. That's quite a leap. Amen. If you know his story, he's, uh, his father, they've, they've had some donkeys run away. And uh, Saul and his servant, uh, they're searching for lost donkeys. Um, he don't have a clue who Samuel is. Um, he doesn't appear to be all that spiritual. Uh, the farthest thing from his mind uh, is to be commander over God's inheritance. Um, but here God caught this man, a chaser of lost donkeys, to king of Israel. I ought to give you hope tonight. Even the people were amazed. They said, what is this that has come upon Saul? Is he a prophet? In other words, something dynamic has happened here. God has not only set this man and called him, but he's powerfully touched him. And it's evident all who can observe him. They were amazed what God's done in this man's life. In fact, it says it became a proverb in Israel, is Saul also among the prophets? Wouldn't that be powerful if that was the statement that identified this man's life? Wouldn't that be wonderful if it wasn't just, uh, if it had ended there, Saul is also among the prophets? Sad to say, this is not it, uh, Saul has a coronation in Gilgal. Chapter 11, verse 15, So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. They made sacrifice, peace offerings before the Lord. Then Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. The root word here is, is to commit. The root word here is to seek occasion to trust or to turn to God. Uh, the thought is um, a wheel in the middle of the wheel. In other words, um, here's a man. God has captured his heart. God has given him another spirit. Um, here's a man. He's gone down to Gilgal. In his coronation, they begin to give offerings to God. Um, and a statement is made, I've committed my life to God. 
He goes to war. There's victories, fame, and glory. Verse 24, Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Saul also went home, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts God has touched. Now, here's a picture. God is touching a man. God is touching a people, it says. Their hearts are moved. They have cause and purpose. Israel is overrun by the Midianites on every hand, and God has raised up a man, and here God is powerfully at work. The Bible records, it says, the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. You can feel the excitement, the thrill of being used of God. God is at work assembling an army out of the people of God, and they're filled with great hope. But in our text, we see God's man in deep trouble. If you read the associated scriptures, he's in rebellion. He's uh, horribly deceived. He says, I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord. Uh, he's broken down internally. Reference points of righteousness is gone. He's spiritually insane. Uh, he's lost the concept of reality. He's crossed so many lines. And you hear these words, um, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord he also has rejected you from being king. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. And what's tragic is Saul is not even phased at this point. It's like he's falling off a cliff. It's like from the anointed of God to witchcraft, and yet he's not phased. And some of the saddest words ever spoken in verse 35, the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. You know that word regretted? It means to be grieved with sorrow, deep anguish of heart. It's the same word that God used in Noah's day in Genesis 6, 6. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. In other words, now God looks at Saul and he screams out of his heart, My, I'm I regret. How could I have ever placed that man as king? And it's not that God's foolish. Not that God doesn't have wisdom. We know that. But he sets you and I in places of ministry and then observes our hearts. What he's saying is, I can't believe Saul has turned into this. Can you imagine this evening God looking at what you and I have done with ministry or our lives and basically saying, this is the worst choice I could, I regret it tears out the heart of God to see what's been done. Can you imagine God saying that about you or me? A heart so twisted now that God is left with no choices. I can't think of anything more tragic in life. You know, I've heard mothers before say about their son on a few occasions. I've heard them say, Pastor... I would to God he had never been born. All he has done has broken my heart. 
I've sat on few occasions, thank God, with a mother whose son has so violated, he's gone to such tragic, disastrous ends. The mother's hair many times has turned gray. Her nerves are on edge. Everything in her has been stripped. And she thinks about her son and thinking, Dear God, why did I bring this child into the world? This is the thought of God about this man now in his life. And so we have to ask the question, how did it happen? And one statement reveals the root cause of all of his trouble with God. Let's look at this this evening. This is what I'm aiming at. Uh, this is a part of the Saul series. This is, uh, I've been thinking about this sermon for a couple of months. Uh, listen to these words. When you were little in your own eyes. Now think of that for a moment. When you were. Now remember, this is God's opinion, not Samuel's. In verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. When you were little, in your own eyes. I made you head of the tribes of Israel and anointed you king. You see, how you view yourself this evening is critical to God's favor and promotion. Remember Samuel when he declares Saul as king? He's going to uh, have his coronation and they can't even find Saul. He's hiding in a haystack. He couldn't be found. It took God. They had to pray. And finally God says, there he is. He's hiding. No doubt he was overwhelmed, even amazed and astonished. Remember when Samuel told him what God wants to do with his life? He said, my tribe is the smallest. My family is the least um, of the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak to me like this? It's beyond belief in Saul's mind that Samuel could say, you know what? You won't believe what God wants to do in your life, Samuel. Here's a young man chasing lost donkeys. Be like he worked on a garbage truck. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. We've got pastors who've worked on garbage trucks, and it's all animated today, you know, and automatic, but used to. I can remember, see the guys riding on the back. Here's, here, that's like, that's a modern-day Saul. And now he has influence. Now he has authority. Now he has ministry. Now he has possibilities. Here's the man. From that to the anointed of God. When he was called, no doubt, he was so filled with appreciation because God looks for this quality. Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes. He's looking back to a position, a view, a self-analysis in King Saul's heart. Luke 14, 11, so whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself Will be exalted. You know what humility is? Humility is how you view yourself. Humility is not a performance. Humility is how you perceive yourself in your own eyes. And I want to tell you, God really looks for this quality when it comes to ministry and anointing and who he's choosing for kingdom 
business. Because humility is the path of the cross, it's the path of obedience, it's the path of servanthood. Listen to Paul in Philippians 2.7, writing about Jesus Christ. He says, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth. Now think of this for a moment. In other words, it's critical this evening. There are men and women sitting here. You want promotion in God's kingdom. You know it comes from the hand of God. You want anointing. You want God to trust you with his inheritance. And what he's looking for, he's looking for little in your own eyes. And that's what he looked for in Jesus Christ. And it says, when he humbled himself, God exalted him. My first ministry was teaching small kids in a Sunday school class. And you know what? I was thrilled. I was grateful. To do anything for God was an awesome privilege. Anything God might ask of me. I had my first uh, ministry. I was a youth pastor. You've heard the story. I won't belabor you with all of it. Lived upstairs. Had five young men living with us and dozens ate with us and all night long. I remember getting rid of our trucks so I could buy a van to facilitate that youth ministry. None of it was inconvenience. None of it was burden. It was privilege and joy. Let me ask you this evening, what are you in your own eyes? Because this will determine how you view ministry, how you view serving, how you view people, how you view sacrifice, how you view offense. And offenses will come. One of the things that drove me crazy in Malaysia, twice, our fellowship, we installed a leader there. And it was interesting to me, the moment this man... These different times, these two men were installed as leaders. Uh, they embraced a mindset uh, that God has put me in this position. Now all the other pastors and people can serve me. It's an Asian concept. Uh, it's in government. It's in any kind of promotion in business. Uh, it, it, it leads to all kind of corruption and, and, and all the bribes and all that's involved uh, but the moment they were set, they might be serving, they might be laboring, they might have a heart, but the moment they were installed in leadership, something shifted in their spirit, and now it was honor me. Serve me. It's incredible when you think from chasing donkeys to a king, you would think Saul would be forever grateful says, when you were little in your own eyes, now there's something that's different. You are no longer little in your own eyes. There's been a shifting of Saul's heart, and the proof of this is by how he treats people. You see how he treats his pastor, Samuel. It doesn't take but a few years, and you can read of this in First Samuel chapter 13. 
Saul is at Gilgal again. He's waiting for Samuel to offer sacrifice. They're going to battle. They've won some wars, but they're outnumbered. And the armies of Israel are gathering. They're seeking God's favor. They're going to have offerings. They're going to make sacrifice. Samuel's late. Chapter 13, verse 8. He was supposed to be there in seven days, but he doesn't show and people are leaving. It's always interesting to watch disciples when the pastor doesn't do what they expected. Saul said, bring the burnt offering and peace offerings here to me, and he offered the burnt offerings. This was a test. Because as soon as he stepped out of his calling into Samuel's calling uh, and offered these sacrifices, the very next verse says these words. Verse 10, as soon as he finished the burnt offerings, Samuel came. Now in Saul's mind, no doubt, this is a violation in other words, um, here he is, um, he looks at Samuel, Samuel's supposed to be there, he's not being there, people are leaving, um, and so he uses this as an excuse. Saul's mind, this is a violation, never thinking that there's more to the kingdom than just him and what he's doing. Samuel has other responsibilities, but it's interesting that he doesn't even bother to tell him. I want to tell you, God will test you right here. How you respond when you don't get the attention you want from your pastor or someone in authority in the church. When they do not do what you think they should do. Saul takes Samuel's role and you can hear him. Samuel, if you'd have been here, I wouldn't have to do this. Who knows where he is? I don't know where he is. If he was doing his job, I wouldn't be in this problem. If he'd have kept his word, I called James Schultz. You know, I mentioned Sunday. I was leaving Sunday night. They had 30 people saved on outreach Saturday. I'm uh, uh, geared. I was flying out Sunday night, going to start Monday Go this week in revival in Virginia Beach. They've handed out thousands upon thousands of flyers. I had to call James. Um, I had to call him. Uh, a crisis came Sunday afternoon. Pastor Mitchell's in Israel, um, almost beyond reach. Um, other side of the world with a tour group out of our fellowship. Um, I forget, 150, 200 people. Um, and so I'm getting these calls almost nonstop. So finally I called James and I said, James, I can't see how possibly I can be there. There's other pressing responsibilities. And I so appreciate this young man. You know what he said? He said, Pastor, I understand. Here's a young man. What is he, 22, 23 years old? And he says these words, Pastor, I understand. We called... Many of the leaders on the East Coast uh, were on the tour. I called George Piper. is going to take $1,600 to fly him in the next day. Finally, Bob Corvo's right there. Bob agreed he could reshuffle his schedule and go. And I called, and they're having a tremendous meeting. But it's interesting um, that in verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. 
You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Now this is interesting. Here he is, Saul has done something that seems very insignificant, but God says to him, your ministry is not going to last. In fact, God says, I'm even now searching for your replacement. Verse 14, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. The insinuation is solved. Your heart is no longer after God. It didn't happen immediately. But it's interesting. Here, years are going to pass. Saul's going to continue. There's going to be victories, of battles won, prestige, glory, many things. But God says right now, I'm looking for your replacement. You see... We can tell how you view yourself in your own eyes by how you treat others. How does he treat his own son, Jonathan? We could say Jonathan was a disciple. Jonathan is a blessing. He's loyal. He's faithful. You read about his life. He hears from God. He led the great victories of Israel. Saul's pride. Now Saul has an emotional explosion. There's outburst of rage. Saul makes a statement, no one's going to eat any food until my enemies are under my feet. Jonathan doesn't have a clue that his father has said this. Uh, he eats some honey. Um, in chapter 14, 44, he says, you shall surely die, Jonathan. And the people rescued Jonathan. How do you treat those who serve you? We can see how he treats David. David is someone God wants to raise up. How do you treat those that God wants to raise up around you? The Bible says a number of places Saul hated David. He would hear these songs. Saul has slain his thousands. David is ten thousands. And he would go into a rage. How do you view Jimmy Rosario? The door director. I didn't, when I was preparing this message, I didn't know... I said, I've been working on this for a couple of months. Uh, he wouldn't be here tonight. But how do you view this young man and his wife, Renee, that God wants to raise up? See, that's what's happening here with Saul. Do you view them um, as a threat? Um, uh, do you view them as someone to undermine them? Uh, do you view them? How do you view them? Do you view them as someone who wants to do something for God? Do you encourage, do you strengthen their ministry? Or do you do like Saul, you throw javelins at them? What if your assistant Bible study leader wanted to start a Bible study? Would you praise God? Better yet, could you be his assistant and serve him as he served you? I've often thought, what if Pastor Mitchell, he's getting quite older, he doesn't appear, and he seems very strong, but uh, what if Pastor Mitchell was taken from the scene and George Piper became the leader of our fellowship? Or some other young man, would I be able to serve him like he served me? How you view yourself in your own eyes is always computes out in how you treat people. 
Wouldn't it have been wonderful if the Bible would have recorded that Saul said, You know what? Thank God for David. God, do you want to make him king? Hallelujah. Thank God. I'll serve him. I'll help him. Wouldn't that have been a wonderful, a, such a, a shattering, overwhelming statement? Saul's still winning victories. He's still doing things for God. But it's interesting. It's interesting to watch couples and men who go out to pastor and come back for one reason or another. Will they now serve those who once served them when they were in this congregation? It climaxes again on Mount Carmel. The Bible says he sets up a monument for himself. Chapter 15, verse 12. Not for God, but for himself. There became a day when he steps over an edge. He's filled with pride. He's a long way from chasing lost donkeys. Success, position, power, and pride. And the Bible says in the book of Peter, spirit from the Lord. Most scholars feel that God just withdrew himself and said, this man is now defenseless to torment. He became an emotional basket case. You watch his life. He's tormented. This man now, he's troubled. It's a distressing spirit. He's an emotional basket case. He's totally lost vision of what God's all about. One minute he's weeping for David, forgive me. The next minute it's kill David. And the Bible says these sad words, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord would not answer him. Chapter 28, verse 15, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore. Now think of this. Here's a man who prophesied. God gave him another heart. God anointed him. God called him and directed him. And now this man's own testimony says, you know what? God doesn't hear me anymore. God doesn't answer me anymore. And the Bible says Saul took a sword and fell on it. Pride always self-inflicts ministry. Pride always dies by its own hand. It's self-destructive. I want to say just a couple of words and I'm closing. There's a quality, listen to me, that's desperately needed for world evangelism. These flags are not hanging here apart from this. Listen to me this evening. Little in your own eyes. What are you in your own eyes? Are you little in your own eyes? Little in your own eyes means no sacrifice now is too great. You know what little in your own eyes is? Your life is expendable for God. Little in your own eyes, you lay your most precious treasure on the altar of God. Jesus said, whosoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. Can I say something to you this evening? Listen to me. If you haven't heard anything else tonight, listen to me. This is not about you. This is not about me. That's what little in your own eyes means. It's not, this wasn't about Saul. It was bigger than Saul. It was deliverance. It was nations. It was salvation. Can I tell you something tonight? Little in your own eyes, it's not about you. It's not about you. Get over it. Get bigger than it. Ministry is not about you. It's not about me. Me standing here is not about me. 
When you're little in your own eyes, you have nothing to protect nor defend. You're not offended when wronged. You're not bitter. There's no time for that because it's bigger than you. It's not about me. It's not about ego. It's not about position. It's not about ministry. It's about souls and serving. Let me read something and I close. Cairo, Egypt, city of 18 million people. Like all third world cities, the poverty staggering. At the bottom of the economic ladder are the less desirables. What I found amazing is that some 50,000 people live at the city's garbage dump, somehow supporting themselves by rummaging through trash that is discarded by the rest of the city's residents. The dump is located on the outskirts of Cairo in what appears to be a bombed-out section of the city. The stench was almost unbearable. Living conditions in the community are so deplorable, it left me speechless. Yet in the midst of the poverty, the filth, and the suffering, a vibrant Christian church is flourishing. The history of this church began with one man, an Egyptian garbage collector, who started sharing Christ with one of the dump's residents in 1972. Two years later, this same garbage collector had something of a Jonah experience which he sensed that God was calling him and his family to move into the dump in order to minister to these people. His first response was to get on a bus, go in the opposite direction. However, the conviction of God's Spirit led him to switch buses with all of his belongings in hand. He took up residence with these despised people. Since that time, the church has grown to over 5,000 people in weekly attendance. Hewn out of the side of a mountain, the church building is constructed completely of concrete and rock. When I made my way into the sanctuary, I fell on my face and wept uncontrollably. With each sob, the nauseous smell of the dump seemed to penetrate my entire being. The pastor of the church at the dump was an uneducated garbage collector but he stopped at nothing to answer God's call on his life. I wonder how many of us would be willing to pay such a high price in order that others could know Jesus Christ and experience salvation. Are you little in your own eyes? What are you tonight in your own eyes? I'm not asking you what this congregation thinks about you. I'm not asking what people at work think about you. I'm not asking what your wife or children or husband think about you. I'm not asking what I think about you. I'm asking what you think about yourself. Because that's what God's going to look at. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God tonight, if we're going to touch the world, if we're going to add any more flags, uh, it's going to be because we have maintained to be little in our own eyes. What word captures your life? Peter the bold, Paul the committed, John the beloved, Barnabas the giver, Judas the betrayer. What captures your... If you 
had one statement that God was going to write about you for all eternity. And in that statement, it would capture your entire life. What would it be? You can feel the agony of God when He says, when you were little in your own eyes. I was able to anoint you. I was able to make you commander over my inheritance. When you were. And you can feel the heartbeat of God. Something has shifted in Saul's heart. I challenge you tonight, because most of us, when we're saved, not everyone, but most people, when they're genuinely converted, it's little in your own eyes. But it's like Saul after the years roll by. If we're not careful, there's a shifting of the heart. What are you this evening in your own eyes? Would you bow your head with me tonight? Little in your own eyes. Heads are bowed. No one's moving for a few moments. You're here tonight. That's how you get saved right there. That's an attitude that God can touch. That's a heart that can say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I've sinned. Because the truth is tonight, you're here, you're not saved, or you're backslidden, you're lost without God. And the only way you're going to come to God is by repentance. Lord, I'm sorry I've sinned against God. God, I'm sorry. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need Jesus Christ to work a miracle and forgive me and change my heart. That's what He wants to do this evening. But you'll have to humble yourself. You'll have to say, God, you know what? That's me. That's me that preacher's talking about this evening. I know it's me. Had a man tell me tonight before service, he said, I'm tired, Pastor, I'm tired of living the way I've been living. Tired, weary. Nowhere else to go but God. Tired of the world. I'm tired of sin. You're here tonight. What about your heart? Would you be honest with God this evening? Is there enough humility in you to admit that you're lost, bound in sin, and need Jesus. I believe there is. I wonder all over this building tonight, you're not saved, you're not a Christian, you're not born again. You'd lift your hand right now and say, Pastor Campbell, would you pray for me? Here's my hand. Just put it up. All over this building, just slip it up right now and say, that's me. That's me, Pastor. See your hand over here, sir. You lift it up. I see your hand here, dear. God bless you. How many more? You'd lift up your hand and say, that's me. You'd lift your hand with these two people and say, that's me. It's me. I'm not right with God this evening. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I'm tired of living the way I'm living. I need to get it right with God. My sin is making me weary, carrying my sin. It's tormenting me. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Anyone else? Quickly. You just slip it up and say, that's me. Here's my hand, Pastor. 
Maybe you're a backslider. You lost once knew God, but you backslid and you'd lift your hand. Say, I want to get it right this evening. Here's my hand. I want to get it right. Are there others? How many more? God's dealing with you tonight. God's dealing with you. God's dealing with you. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. How many more? Lift your hand up. Your back's slidden. You just slip it up and say, I want to get right tonight. See, this is not about you and me so much and pride and all the images and all the things we deal with in life. This is about you and God and this is about humility. It's bigger than you, beloved. God will do things in you you never imagined. He can forgive in a moment. He can rebuild lives that have been torn. The Bible says He comes to bind up the brokenhearted, set at liberty them that are bruised, open prison doors. You'd lift your hand. How many more? Young person, you'd slip up your hand. You'd say, that's me. I want to lift my hand with these three or four, five people. Here's my hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? If you lifted your hand, I want you to I see your hand over here. You lifted your hand, I want you to lift it up one more time. Lift it up. Lift your eyes and look at me. You sincere with God? I believe you are. You sincere over here? You sincere over here? Back here, you sincere with God? I believe you are. Over here, you sincere with God? I want you to get up out of your seat. I want you to come. I want you to come right here at this altar. Just come and join me. Why don't you come, dear, right here? I need someone to pray with her. Over here. If you'd come, I need someone to pray with this lady over here. Someone praying with this, this man here. If you'd come, just kneel at this altar. God's speaking to people tonight. Let me ask you, what are you in your own eyes? You can tell what you are in your own eyes by how you treat other people. You could tell what Saul was in his own eyes by how he treated Samuel, how he treated Jonathan, how he treated David. I'm going to ask you to stand with me all over this building this evening. I open these altars. You come. You find a place to pray. Maybe you brought someone with you tonight. They're not saved. You encourage them to come. Lay hold of God. Are you able to serve those that have served you? Are you willing to serve those that have served you? Great test of the heart. Willing to serve those that have served you. Humble yourself. It's bigger than you, mister, ma'am. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. Until you grasp that, You'll always be in some kind of crisis. Let's pray, church. Other people are coming. Let's pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God. Hallelujah, Jesus.